You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. The journey. And today, the journey of the privilege. So get your Bibles out and turn to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2 as we continue in our our Christmas uh, series. You know, it's interesting, at Christmas time, you uh, end up at parties in people's homes, and usually before it's done, somebody pulls out some kind of a trivia book about Christmas. And sometimes it's about Santa, and you know, what was his wife's name, or how many elves were there, how many reindeers are there, and you get to that stuff, and, and then if it's at a, a Christian friend's place, you eventually transition over to a Christmas trivia about um, the Christmas story, the real story. And it may be like, um, what was the name of the donkey that Mary rode from Nazareth to Bethlehem? Oh, wait, the Bible doesn't say there was a donkey. So it's that kind of stuff. And, you know, how many wise men were there? And how many people actually saw the star? And all, all kinds of trivia like that. There's all kinds of things that get wrapped up in the mystique and the traditions of Christmas that aren't necessarily or aren't even part of the story. Uh, One of the fun ones for me has to do with the wise men. Um, And uh, so often in manger scenes, you've got these three guys with their gifts stuck in behind Jesus at the manger. And uh, uh, the problem is they didn't come to the manger. We're going to see that uh, today. I, I remember being at George's house three or four years ago at a Christmas party, and they have an amazing you should, you should all go there this afternoon. What's your address? Anyways, you should all go there and see it. And uh, it's a great manger scene. And, and so we were there about four years ago. And I walk up and I look at it and the wise men are there. Well, and being George's pastor, I thought it'd be good for me to help him. And so I took the wise men and George's dining room is to the east. Okay, so I took the three wise men and I took them over and I set them up on uh, whatever I set them up on. And, and then, then he came into the room and saw that they weren't there anymore and found them in the east, which is actually where they were. And, uh, but he sta- I think they're glued in now in case I ever go back so that they can't be moved. You know, it's all part of the, the Christmas mystique and things that we've just taken in. And well, today we want to take a look at the narrative about these men. The wise men. It's found in Matthew chapter 2. So if you've got your Bibles open, let's stand. We want to honor God as we read his word. And I'm going to start at verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophets. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." When her, then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from, when, and from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. 
And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for uh, the different journeys that we have seen so far as we've uh, looked at this Christmas series, the, uh, the journey foretold by the prophets, the a journey of, of the disenfranchised of the shepherds, and now, Lord, the, the journey of the privileged. And, Lord, I pray that you would give us ears to hear your word today. And maybe in a new and fresh way, Christmas season, uh, give us some minds to understand it. And then, Lord, would you give us hearts to passionately live out because of the Savior's work for us on the cross, the finished work of Jesus Christ. Uh, do this work in us for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks. You can take your seats. Well, as I said in my prayer, last week we saw the shepherds who we said represented the disenfranchised. They uh, were not wealthy people. They were poor. They were looked down on, may not even been allowed to give uh, a testimony in a court of law, and no one really wanted to have anything to do with them. They were kind of of shady character, and uh, that's kind of uh, how they were and how they were seen. And so we saw them representing the disenfranchised, but here's what we saw. Uh, they came as they were. You just come as you are. They came as they were and they left changed. And that's the way it is for us when we come to Jesus Christ. You, you come as you are, you leave changed. You don't clean yourself up as some way to get to Jesus. You come as you are and you leave changed. The shepherds, their circumstances are very different. Uh, these are the people who are the privileged, but they too come as they are and they'll leave changed. The shepherds didn't clean themselves up first. The wise men came as they were, but... At the feet of Jesus, we're all the same. At the feet of Jesus, we're all the same. So let's walk through the narrative today, starting in verse 1. And the first question we want to answer is, who were they? Who were these wise men? Verse 1, it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Uh, we assume there were three, but it's an assumption. Uh, we assume there were three because there were three gifts. Uh, there might have been three, there might have been five, there might have been ten. We really don't know. Tradition says their names were Gaspar, Melchior, and Balthazar. Um, that's tradition. It's not found in the Bible. Whether it's true or not doesn't really matter. But those are the things that you've heard about uh, these men as they've come. Um, they're referred to as the Magi or as wise men. And uh, so what were they known for? What was the background of who were these people who came? Well, first of all, they were those who practiced, this included astrology, uh, dream work, interpretation, a studying of sacred writings, everything they could find. Um, they had a pursuit of wisdom. That's who they were. And that's where the name comes for them. They were, but they were coming looking for a king. Um, uh, they were the wise men. Uh, they were the wise men. How did they know to even be looking for a star? 
Well, uh, four, 400 years have passed of silence in Scripture. And, uh, but prior to that, um, Daniel, when uh, he prophesied in Daniel 9, 24 to 27, he talked about the timeline for the birth of the Messiah. Well, pastor, what does Daniel have to do with these guys? Well, these guys are in Babylon. And that's the area where Daniel was. That's where Nehemiah had come out of. That's where Ezra had come out of. Uh, that's where when the people were taken into captivity, many of them ended up in this area. There were still a lot of Jews and a lot of Jewish influence in this area. And they would have heard the story just and they would have known about this king that they were looking for. The wise man traveled probably 800 miles to uh, get to Bethlehem. 1,200 kilometers. If they averaged 20 miles or 32 kilometers a day, it would take them at least 40 days to get there. We don't know what the timeline is between when Jesus was born exactly and when they arrived. We just know that Jesus is now in a house. We'll see that again in a second. And, and they come and, and they meet him after taking this great journey. And so these are, are people who were looking for a king. They had studied the scriptures. They were looking for the signs. They were the privileged they were educated. They had wealth. They could take a 40-day journey one way minimum, spend time looking with the entourage that would have gone with them. They had wealth. They had access. If you or I show up in Ottawa and say you want to meet the prime minister, not likely you're getting in. These guys show up from Babylon and they get to sit with the king. They had access and they had influence. Along with that, as the king is starting to wonder what's going on, he calls the other religious leaders. That's, that's who these people are. They represent the privileged. But at the feet of Jesus, we're all the same. They had to come just as they were. And so that's who they are. Why did they come? Well, the text goes on. You see it at the end of the wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, verse 2, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And we saw his star. Uh, God reveals himself in different ways to different people. Uh, God revealed himself to the shepherds through the voice of an angel and then the angel choir. Uh, God reveals himself uh, to the, uh, for the journey to the wise men through the star. And God reveals himself in all kinds of ways. There are lots of ways that we find our way to Jesus, but there's only one way to God, and that's through Jesus Christ. And so the shepherds were influenced by the voice of an angel. The wise men are influenced by a star. Well, what, what was this star? What was it? It's interesting that uh, in Balaam's prophecy, you go, Balaam's prophecy? What's Balaam's prophecy? Numbers 24, 17 says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheph. Uh, this was a verse that the Jews believed was a messianic verse that would point towards Jesus Christ. And so knowing maybe what Daniel knew and knowing maybe what was in the book of Numbers, uh, the wise men, they see this star. The Bible trivia question was how many people saw the star? The only recorded people who saw the star with any understanding of it is the wise men. 
Um, but they saw this star. And so what was the star? Some believe it was a conjunction of the planets Jupiter and Saturn. Sometimes people have to find an answer to God's message. And so some people believe it was like these two, these two planets came together and when they came together, well, obviously that was the star. Some people believe it was a, a supernova that happened. I, I don't know. I know this. It was supernatural. It was done in God's way, in his time, to accomplish what he wanted accomplished. And you don't have to be able to explain everything for it to be true. And, and there's a, a huge faith element that happens in our walk with Christ because we believe it's true. And so whether it was planets lining up, I'm not sure how that even works out for them to end up in Bethlehem or, or some supernova. Or how about this? I read this quote this week. I really liked it. It said, could it be that the star which the wise men saw and which led them to a specific house was the Shekinah glory of God? It was just God showing up. God showing up in their lives. I'm going to show you where you should go. It was the Shekinah glory of God, the same glory that led the children of Israel through the wilderness for 40 years as a pillar of fire and cloud. Perhaps this is what they saw in the east. And for want of a better term, they called it a, a star. And so they see this star and God reveals himself in a significant way in a medium that they would understand. So God reveals himself to the shepherds through the angel. God reveals himself to the wise men through the star. God reveals himself in the truth of this story uh, to, uh, to Joseph uh, through a dream. You hear in these days of people in the Middle East and, and, and uh, they're being converted to Christianity and they have a vision. Uh, not been my experience. But God does what God does. Uh, sometimes uh, somebody will come to church and how did you meet Christ? I heard about him on the radio. How did you come to Christ? Well, my friend told me about him at work. How did you hear about Christ? Well, I, I came to church. How did you come to Christ? Well, I got lonely. I was going through a hard time. I decided to pick up a Bible and I just started to read it. And God reveals himself in many different ways. And God does that to the uh, wise man through the star. Well, what were they looking for? So we have the wise men led by a star. What are they looking for? Again, verses 2 and 3 say, um, saying, where is he who was born king of the Jews? We've seen his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem. We're looking for the king of the Jews. They were coming looking for a king. And so they end up in Herod's palace. Now you have to understand something. Herod is a piece of work. Um, he ruled from about 37 B.C. through till 3 or 4 B.C., right about the time of the birth of Jesus Christ. Um, started out well, um, was put in place as the king of the Jews by Rome. And uh, it did a lot of work. He restored the temple. He built theaters. He, he did a lot of good things in the beginning. Uh, but he was very focused and he raised the taxes on the people so that they could barely sustain their own lives with what they had to, what they had to pay. Um, he loved power. 
In the last years of his life, it seemed that he became paranoid about things. And I think we see that even in this text. But history will tell you in the last days of his life, he turned to cruelty and fits of rage and jealousy, even having his wife and several of his sons put to death out of fear that there was a conspiracy against him. So you have to imagine what happens in this guy's life when the wise men come from the east and they go, we're looking for the king of the Jews. And he begins his plot and how he's going to put them, put Jesus Christ to death. And later on, after the wise men leave, he, he makes a decree that all of the boys under two years old who lived in that area of Bethlehem would be put to death. He was a paranoid mess. He died shortly after, was buried uh, just outside of Jericho. That's the story of Herod. And they ended up at his palace because where would you go if you were looking for the one who would be the king of the Jews? You would go to the king of the Jews. Now look at verses 7 and 8 just to see that. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had happened. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Uh, and that wasn't his plan at all. Uh, we see it. We see them protected. We see in verses after from the, from the flight into Egypt that Herod had one plan, and that was to put Jesus Christ to, to death. But, but go back and see what happens when they're at the temple, and you see that in verses of 4 to 6. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, this is in Micah 5, verse 2, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Another prophecy about Jesus Christ. And we saw a couple of them a few weeks ago when we looked in Isaiah chapter 9, 6. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. We went back to Isaiah. Isaiah 7 and saw his name will be called Emmanuel which means God with us and that he would be born of a virgin and here is another verse that points us to the fact that Jesus Christ truly was the Messiah. He was the one they had been looking for. The wise men go to Jerusalem looking for a king. They end up in Bethlehem meeting the king of kings. I don't really believe they understood what they were looking for when they were coming. They just knew that the star had said they need to go to Jerusalem, we're going to find a king, and we're going to worship him when we get there. It's interesting in this text, there are three main groups of people, and they represent um, the way people respond to Jesus Christ. Herod responds to Jesus Christ with hostility. He just wants Jesus put to death. He wants this taken off of his area, the paranoia that he needs to deal with, and he responds with hostility. The Christian spirit, not Christian, the, the spiritual leaders of the day, uh, they respond with indifference. How do you know that? Well, look what they tell the wise men. The wise men come. We've seen his star. So they knew about the passage in Numbers. They knew about Daniel. They knew, and, and so they even give them the right answer to the question. Jesus is going to be born in Bethlehem. Now you would think they would have packed their bags and headed down with him because the Messiah is born. 
and they respond with indifference. It's like, yeah, yeah, you go if you want. We're not going. We really don't care. And then there's the wise men who worshipped him. Even at a great cost, uh, they worshipped him. And those are the responses of people today to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, people respond with hostility. Uh, you just mentioned the name Jesus Christ in your workplace or to your neighbor, and you'll have people who will shut you down. They won't let you talk about the Lord. They won't have nothing to do with Jesus Christ. They, they respond with hostility. It's not a surprise. The way to uh, heaven is narrow. The way to destruction is broad. And hostility is a way that people respond to Jesus Christ. Indifference is another way that people respond to Jesus Christ. They hear the story, they understand it, and they just kind of go, eh, ho-hum, ho-hum. And you have family members and you have neighbors who maybe one day claim to be followers of Jesus Christ or interested in Jesus Christ. And we come to the incarnation of Christ and they're just ho-hum. And then you have those who seek him, to worship him. And really, you should ask yourself the question today, which, which one of the groups am I in in that? Am I hostile to Jesus Christ? Probably not, unless somebody forced you to be here today. Am I indifferent to Jesus Christ? Uh, possibly. You've heard the claims of Christ, you've heard the gospel, and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Or are you seeking to worship him today? The wise men, they came because they were looking for a king and they found the king of kings. And what's your response when you think about who they met? And that takes us in the narrative to verses 9 to 11, which is really how they responded. And so it's a story. It's being told out for us. And it says, after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, a star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. The narrative now drives us to some application, the application of what happened in their lives and, and then the application of what needs to happen in our lives. The first thing it says is that they saw him. They saw him. So they go into this house and Mary is there and the baby is there and they see this baby who they believe is going to be a king and they, they saw him. They saw him. What did they understand? Did they understand he was the Messiah? They certainly didn't understand how he would be the atoning price for our salvation. Not at this point. Uh, they certainly didn't understand that Christ would die on a cross. They certainly didn't understand about the resurrection. The followers of Jesus Christ who were with him for three years, just days and months before Christ hung on a cross, didn't get it. But they saw him. They didn't understand what we understand from Matthew chapter 1, that his name would be called Jesus, Jehovah is salvation, that his name would be called Christ, the anointed one. 
that his name would be called Lord, the King. All of those names laid out in Matthew chapter 1. They didn't have any of that information. They may not have known about Matthew or, or Isaiah chapter 9 and Isaiah chapter 7. We don't know what they know, but we do. We do because we have the rest of the story. We have the rest of the story. And so we know why Christ came. We know what he did. And these, these uh, wise men are coming and they're, they're seeing this child. And... But you get to come to Christmas this year and see this child knowing what he did. You get to come and hear the message of Christmas knowing what it would accomplish. They saw. Have you seen Jesus? Without the incarnation of Christ, without his birth, there is no path that leads us to his substitutionary atonement, dying in your place so you could have eternal life. You can see what they couldn't see. It says they saw. And then we see that they submitted. They submitted. And take a look at what it says. It says they came and they fell down before him and they, and they worshipped him. They fell down and they worshipped him. Now, if they only understood that this was a king, then they were worshipping him as the next sovereign ruler that would be over Israel. Uh, we don't know what their worship was like, but we know what our worship is to be like because they went and found, looking for a king and found the king of kings. But you know the king of kings. And it says they fell down and they worshipped him. And so instead of getting caught up in the, oh, isn't Christmas sweet and cute? And, all, and it is. But it's also a time for us to fall down and worship him. It's a time to get our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. It's a time to see the worth of our Savior and what he did and what he accomplished. And our worship our worship is made up of lots of components. Our worship is internal and it's external. I think sometimes people come to church. I know I can be guilty of this. You, you get here and you know there's certain ways you're supposed to act in church. And so we're supposed to sing and we're supposed to clap our hands. If you're really nervy, you might even put your hands up. And, and that should be part of a heart of worship. And it should be demonstrating how awesome God is and what he does. But sometimes it's not coming from an internal worship. And so it's just an external expression. And, and our worship to God needs to be something that's internal and external as we come to the Lord. Are you saying, Pastor, well, don't clap if I don't feel like it? No, no. Clap and sing, but get your heart right. Get the internal part of your worship right. So the external part matches up with what's going on in your heart. Worship is internal and external. Worship is active, not passive. I didn't say it's not quiet. I said it's active. It's not passive. Worship is something we need to be doing focused on who God is and what he's done for us. And when you think about the incarnation of Jesus Christ and why he came, and he's this little baby who, we're going to see it on Christmas Day from Philippians chapter 2, and what he gave up so he could come. Our worship is an active thing. It's not I close my eyes and hope God shows up. And so even in be still and know that I am God, it's active and then clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Our worship is active. It's active. It's thought through. It's focused. It involves every part of us physically, emotionally, mentally, socially, spiritually. They, they came and they, they worshiped him. They submitted. They submitted. 
Worship begins with Jesus. True worship. It begins with Jesus. John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is not some afterthought of God's plan. Jesus is God. And true worship begins when you intersect your life with that of the working of Jesus Christ. As I said before, without the incarnation, there is no plan of salvation. There is no substitutionary atonement. There is no price that's paid. There is no salvation. And so the Lord Jesus comes and he makes his sacrifice for us. And true worship begins at the feet of Jesus. So have you been there? Have you come to the understanding of what Christ has done for you, for me, for us? Not only in the incarnation, but in the work of our salvation. And how your sin separated you from God to such an extent there was nothing that could be done to fix it except God sending his only son to satisfy the wrath of God. And he came and he died. And so the amazing incarnation of Christmas was so that we could have a salvation based on what Christ has accomplished and what he did for us. Worship begins with Jesus. Do you know him? And if you don't, the Bible says you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, what Christ has done, what he did for you, and you will be saved. Say it every week. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. God does it by his grace. If you've never trusted Christ, I challenge you to trust him today. Believe on the Lord. God so loved the world, he gave his son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And followers of Christ, what does our surrender look like? What does our surrender look like? What does our worship look like? Has Christmas become ho-hum? Whereas Christmas is a time when we take a renewed focus on the incarnation of Jesus Christ so that we could have eternal life because of the finished work of Christ. God help us to have a fresh look at what Christ has done. God help you in your families this week to take a part of the Christmas story, Isaiah 7, Isaiah 9, uh, Matthew 1, Matthew 2, Luke 2, and, and just be reading that over as a refreshed, a new look at why we're doing all this stuff that we're, we're doing. They saw, they submitted, and then the next thing we see is they surrendered. They surrendered, it says. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Well, these gifts, why? And what do they represent? You know, I can't help but think they're sitting in this house. They've come, they're in this house. And Mary's sitting there and Jesus is there. And the wise men come in and, and they fall down on their faces to worship the new king. Mary, along with everything else that's going on, nobody prepared her for this. There's nothing in Scripture that says wise men are going to come to your house two months later, four months later, a year later. There's nothing of this. Now, these guys just show up one Tuesday afternoon and, and now they bow down to Jesus. She's probably still, it says in Luke, she pondered all of these things. She was a woman who thought a lot about things. And so you got these wise men now, they're pouring out their gifts, and 
You know, some things about that, they for sure, Mary and Joseph know these gifts are valuable when you see what they are. And for sure, they weren't expecting these gifts. There was nothing that they were told this was coming for them. And for sure, they wouldn't have been used to getting these kind of gifts. Uh, but they do. But they do. As a matter of fact, the Bible doesn't even really tell us what those gifts were ever used for. We know they had great value, but we don't know why, what they were used for. I was talking with someone today, and he'd been doing some reading, and, and uh, the reading he was said, perhaps... That's what God provided so that they could pay for their trip to Egypt, which they're going to go and run and be there until they come back uh, sometime later. Maybe that was God's provision for them. Don't know. The Bible doesn't say. But the Bible does tell us what the three gifts were. It says they presented their gifts to them. The first one is gold. Gold. If you watch television at all these days, especially if you watch Fox News, it seems like every other commercial is gold. By gold. The world's economy is about to collapse by gold. Why? Because it's so valuable. And, and gold had great value. And for sure, it still it had it then and had it today. But gold meant more than just that. It was a great value. But gold in the scriptures is a, a symbol of divinity. Um, you take a look at the, uh, when the temple is being built and things are overlaid in gold. Um, and so as this gift is being given to, as we know, not a king, but the king, it was a gift that represented divinity. And so they present the gift of gold. Then they present the gift of frankincense. Frankincense was a white resin or gum. It was obtained from a tree by making an incision in it and then through the process of it. And then um, you would light it and burn it and it would smell sweet. It was an incense. Um, you can find about it being used in offerings in Exodus 30, 34. Frankincense is a symbol of holiness. And so they bring this gift of gold, a symbol of divinity, and then they bring this gift of frankincense, which is a symbol of, of holiness, and then they bring this gift of myrrh. Myrrh. Well, myrrh was kind of made the same way that frankincense was made. It wasn't as valuable, and its purpose was different. Um, it was used a couple different ways. Uh, one of it, when you read about the, the death of Christ, and they offer him a drink, and it was wine mixed with gall. Well, gall myrrh is the same thing. And so they would put it in, and it would kind of stunt the pain for you. It was used in that way when someone was suffering. But primarily, it was used when someone was being anointed, as a king or set apart and they would anoint them with this stuff called myrrh but also it was used when someone would die and they would use it in embalming and so myrrh symbolizes being set apart it also separate it also recognizes bitterness and suffering and affliction and so the wise men come and they present their gifts Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The shepherds, when they came, they came just as they were. No gift to give, nothing to offer. They came as they were to meet Jesus. The uh, wise men now come to meet Jesus, and, and they bring with them their gifts to offer. I couldn't help but think of the, the verse, to whom much has been given, much will be required, and the onus that's on us. Um, but the reality is they gave what they had. And again, it made me think about myself and ourselves in this Christmas season. 
and we think about what the Lord Jesus Christ gave and what are we giving? And what are we giving? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not a go back home this afternoon, unwrap all of your presents, package them up and take them back to the store kind of guy. Not like that. I know some of the stuff I'm getting. We're not taking it back, okay? Um, but don't let that take your focus off of why we're really here. Don't let that take you to a place where you lose sight of what really is being accomplished here. Uh, the gifts that they gave had a special purpose. And so when you receive gifts this year, don't forget the most amazing gift that was ever given. Don't lose sight of what Jesus Christ has accomplished for you. To whom much has been given, much will be required. So the wise men, they come from the east, they follow the star, they go to Bethlehem, they see, they submit, and they surrender. Well, so what? So what? Just like the shepherds, the wise men came as they were, but they left changed. When we come to Jesus, you can't leave the same as when you arrive. And we know the rest of the story. The wise men came from afar to honor him and bow down and present their gifts and offerings. It's right that we can give to him our hearts, our property, our all. It all belongs to him anyways. And so what's the presentation of your gift to Jesus Christ of this year as you come to Christmas? You know, there are about uh, five that I picked, five great lessons that we can learn from the wise men. And so really quick, here's what they are. Some practical things that you can take. The first one is that they listened and they believed God's word. The, the spiritual leaders in Jerusalem didn't really. They told them he would be born. They quoted Micah 5, 2. He'll be born in Bethlehem. They quoted the scripture and they believed it and they acted upon it. They listened and believed God's word. Do you? Are you trusting the Lord for the journey you're going through in your life right now, the difficulty you're facing and God's promised you, I'm not going to leave you, I'm not going to forsake you? And they heard God's word, they believed it. They acted on it. Here's the second thing. They were people who sought out Jesus Christ. They were looking for Jesus. And as we come to our Christmas, what's our focus on who this Messiah is, who this Savior is? The incarnation is all about Jesus Christ arriving so I can have eternal life. They sought out Jesus. They recognized the worth of Christ. They came and they saw him and they fell down. They fourth thing, they humbled themselves to worship Jesus. They humbled themselves to worship Jesus. One of the most difficult things to do for an unsaved person is to come to the place of humbling yourself to realize you're not getting there on your own and worshiping Jesus. But when you do, you're saved. But followers of Jesus Christ one of the difficult things we do every day is humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God, trusting God as he leads and grows us up in Jesus Christ. They humbled themselves and worshiped Jesus. And here's a cool one at the end. 
and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod. Remember, Herod said, you come back here and you tell me what's going on. They departed their own, to their own country by another way. These men obeyed God rather than man. And they didn't get caught up in what the, what the common sense to do thing would be. Why would you want to tick off this guy who has people put to death? And, but they were warned. And they obeyed God rather than man. They truly were wise men. I'm not sure they were when they arrived. They were looking for a king and they found the king of kings. But they did some things that point out to, to us that we can see they truly were wise men. And as we come to our Christmas season, as we come to this week, how will we get our eyes fixed on? We've seen the star. We're going to find the Savior. And we're going to fall down and we're going to worship him and we're going to give him not just our money. Not just, we're going to give him our priorities. We're going to give him the things that we think are important. We're going to give him our, our family. We're going to give him because he deserves all of it. Come as you are, and you will leave changed. Just like the shepherds did, and just like the wise men did. It's all part of the journey of meeting and knowing our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today, and for the challenge of this narrative of the, uh, of the wise men. We hear their story. We've heard it before. Lord, may we have heard it in a fresh way today that stirs us to be different. If there's someone in the room and they've heard about the wise men a hundred times before. But today they're stirred because of the, the way that they came and they fell down. They met Jesus. Father, we know what Jesus accomplished. And if there's somebody here today who's never trusted Christ, would this be the day when they would turn in repentance and faith and put their hope and trust in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation? But Lord, the rest of us can become ho-hum about all this Christmas stuff and forget that the Messiah came in the incarnation so he could die for our salvation. And may we rejoice in that. Will that be the story that we tell each other? Will that be the story we tell our kids? And at the end of this week, we can have a great time. We can have family time. We can have all of these things. But that Jesus Christ would be exalted. Do that work in us, God, and do it for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name.